We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Are you the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? Why do I hear murmurings? Are some of you happy that your neighbor isn't here with you today? Maybe they are, right? I, I think that's a decent question for us to ask. Um, are we the best neighbor that our neighbor ever had? I think the, the, the question is easily answered. Would you want the best neighbor next to you? Yeah, right? Uh, any of us that have lived in neighborhoods and, and uh, maybe some tighter than others understand how great a blessing it is to have somebody on either side of you that you get along with, that you can have a conversation with, right? So today, that's the question we want to consider. Are you the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? You all murmured a little bit because you know that not all of us and not everyone in the world is the best neighbor that you ever had. Maybe once in a while, us. There's a few stories that I found on neighbors, and these are negative stories. These are bad neighbors, okay? These are bad neighbors. Uh, the first one <clears throat> was a story about someone that moved into their new apartment, and uh, the, the neighbor's window could see her front door. And so as we do, we just click buttons, and Amazon keeps dropping things at our door. It's like birthday every single day, right? Um, of course, our credit card bill comes in later on as well. But so she would order things to her door and, and um, they would disappear. It's like, what in the world is going on? Like, and that happens, right? Packages disappear. We, porch pirates come around and take packages. But this was happening like, like so consistently that at some point she decided she was going to go on a stakeout and figure out what was going on. Guess who she found out was taking all of her packages? Yeah, her neighbor, right? Yeah, her neighbor. Yeah, some of you are like appalled. Yeah, her neighbor was literally just waiting till her package showed up, taking it, opening it up, seeing if he wanted it, probably reselling it if he did it, right? Okay, not a great neighbor, okay? That was, that was the first one. Uh, another story that I heard was concerning garbage, right? So we all put our garbage out on garbage day. Um, and one of these neighbors would put their garbage out, but uh, um, they always had overflow garbage, so they would put the garbage out in bags. And where I used to live in, in Toronto, uh, the, the mascot for our city was a, a raccoon. <laughs> Not by choice, but because raccoons really love Toronto. <laughs> because they'd come along, and if it wasn't sealed in a trash can... Um, even sometimes when they were sealed in trash cans, the raccoons would get into it. So this neighbor would put out all of his extra garbage in bags, right, the night before. Sure enough, what would happen the next morning? There's trash everywhere, right? In the neighbor's yard, wind has blown it around, uh, it's getting stuck in the hedges and things like that. Um, so the surrounding neighbors were upset and they said, listen, you've got to buy trash cans. You have to put your trash in trash cans because it's getting in our yard. You want to know what his response was? No. So he kept doing it. And week after week, there was garbage scattered all along the neighborhood. So do you want to know what his neighbors started doing? Yeah, that's right. This has gone down and become what is now known as the garbage wars. So they started gathering his garbage that blew into their yard, and they started tucking it into his hedges, 
and into his mailbox and into the slats of his fence. And so you know what he did? He would then take his garbage and dump it over the backyards of theirs, right? Uh, through cups, through open windows of their vehicles. Okay? Not a great neighbor and not a great garbage war that came from it. Okay? Another one. Neighbors had a dog. Okay? And what do dogs do once in a while? They bark. But guess what? This story isn't about a barking dog. This dog was wonderful and didn't bark and was well-behaved. But one day, they came home to their dog, and it was missing. I said, how in the world? Like, where is our dog? We left him in the backyard. He's never been able to get out. It's sealed, right? Uh, And so they looked, and they looked, and they looked for months trying to find this dog, and they put up flyers that said, lost dog. Until one day, they found the dog. And you want to know where it was? In their neighbor's backyard. Their neighbor stole their dog and put it in their yard. Yeah. They went over, naturally, said, uh, that's our dog. Like, you can't take someone's dog. And you want to know what their neighbor said? Yeah, we can. Right? They wouldn't give it back. They ended up having to get the police involved to come and actually retrieve their own dog. Right? Okay. Not great neighbors. One more. Uh, this one's a story about noise, right? We were expecting that noise complaints were going to come at some point. Um, and one of the neighbors had a band, and they had a drum kit, which was in the basement. And you're thinking, okay, you can maybe do some drumming if you're contained within a basement. Uh, but this neighbor left the windows wide open. And so every time that they would drum, or in this instance, when they were drumming, that drumming noise would funnel straight out the window right into the neighbor's yard, right? Keep them awake. So what ended up happening? Police knocked on the door, right? And said, ah, we've got a noise complaint from one of your neighbors, possibly all of their neighbors, right? That you can't be drumming at this hour of night. Okay. Those are not great stories of neighbors. Which one of those neighbor stories do you think involved me? Oh, yeah, yeah. So now you're like, ooh, that became awkward. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. Would he steal a dog? I don't know. I don't know what pastors... <laughs> like, I, I don't know what he's capable of, but at this point, everything's on the table, right? Uh, I did not steal anyone's dog. But this last story was about me. Because before we had a building, do you know where our worship team practiced? In my basement, right? With a drum kit. This gets worse. <laughs> this, is not, this is a negative example. This is a bad example of being a neighbor. Um, that is a true story because the cops came to my door and knocked on it and said, you can't be playing drums at this time of night. And you want to know why I didn't know that some kids were playing drums in my basement at that time of night? Because my house was filled with pastors and pastors' wives and families because it was a going away party for one of my fellow clergy members. And so I said, how does this happen that the cops get called on a bunch of pastors for being too rowdy in their house? But that's exactly what happened. And I'm going to leave the name of the pastor's going away party, I'm going to leave that unnamed. It's possible that he used to be a pastor in Greeley. That's as far as I'm going. Um, But I was not a good neighbor, right? And I got called out for it. I think we can 
understand those stories to some degree. Hopefully, um, you haven't had anything maybe to the extreme of some of those. But I think we get it. Um, We know how hard it is when somebody um, is a bad neighbor to us. Today, we want to ask ourselves, how can we be the best neighbor our neighbor ever had? It's the question that Jesus wants us to be able to answer. And things are, there, are, there are far greater things that's at stake than garbage and noise complaints and, to be honest, even a dog. When we start talking about the importance of us being uh, the best neighbor we can be to the people around us, it has eternal and spiritual consequences. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We want to ask ourselves, how can we, how can you be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? So we're going to jump into our text this morning. Um, As I mentioned, this is going to be our theme. And we're going to kind of answer three different things as we walk through that text and as we we hear Jesus' parable to us. So uh, something we need to know, what we have to share and look to. So basically these three points are going to give us a, 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 um, a checklist on how we can be the best neighbor that our neighbor ever had. So. So if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to. You can find our text either in your bulletin or you'll find it on the screen behind me here as well. Uh, We're kind of continuing our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, uh, you know that the first eight chapters of Luke, in large part, um, Luke and Christ are trying to, to nail home the point that Jesus is not just a man or a prophet uh, or, or a rabbi, or a wise person, or a, a self-help guru, but that Christ is nothing less than the Son of God. And so the first eight chapters of Luke, that's what's being driven home to us over and over and over again. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is your Savior. And so at, after verse, or chapter 8, chapters 9 and 10, 10 which we're in here today, that's where Luke in some measure makes the turn. So he says, if Jesus is that, if he is the Lord of all, dot, 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 it means something, doesn't it? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, dot, 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 it means something. It changes something. It has to, right? So chapters 9 and following, that's what Luke is talking about. How does Christ change us from the inside out? Today, specifically, he talks about us becoming neighbors, right? Good neighbors. So let's jump into our text. Uh, As I mentioned, you're welcome to follow along. We're going to read uh, verses 25 through 28 to begin with. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, it's kind of interesting. So in our text, two main questions are asked of from the expert and from Jesus. This is the first one. What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And that's not a small question, is it? The expert in the law is saying, okay, give me a checklist. Uh, I, I want to go to heaven. I want to be righteous. I want to be right in God's eyes. So Jesus, give me a checklist. That's really what he's looking for. 
Jesus' response kind of throws it back at him. He says, well, how do you read it? And what's interesting here is Jesus, Jesus is, is, um, is coming to where the expert in the law is in order to bring him to where Christ is. And so that expert in the law um, was exactly that. He knew exactly his Old Testament text. He knew what God had said and to do and not to do. In fact, he knew the Old Testament laws so well, and he knew the, the, what the Jews called hedge laws that they had built around them. He knew them um, inside and out, and he had them memorized. Well, Jesus knows that, right? And on some level, he knows that this man is testing him. And so Christ puts it back in his court, which actually, if any of you are ever teachers, that's also a good teaching move as well. So sometimes in confirmation class or Bible class, say, well, that's a great question. What do you think? Right? So any of you that are in starting point afterwards, if I do that to you, you'll know, okay, (laughs) I got it from Jesus, right? Um, But this is what he does. So he says, I'm going to put it back in your court. He says, how do you read it? And the expert in law actually gives a remarkably good answer. Um, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So um, he summarizes the whole of the law. And you can think of it as a a vertical law and a horizontal law, right? So love the Lord your God, this is vertical, but also horizontally love the people around you. So it's, it's a really good summary. But what's kind of fascinating here is that this expert in the law who knew everything inside and out, he gives this back to Jesus, but he actually adds something. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You go back to the book of Leviticus, those are all there. You want to know what's not there? And with all your mind. Now, we don't make too big a point of this, but it maybe gives us a little insight into the mindset and the heart situation of this expert in the law. He says, not only am I going to give you the right answer, I'm going to give you a little extra, right? Even my mind, even my intellect, even my reason, right, does this. So Jesus tells him, do this and you will live. Is that the end of the sermon? It's not the end of the text. So here's the fascinating thing. What is Christ urging, hoping, that this expert in the law will do? that he'll reflect, that he'll hear Jesus' simple words, do this and you will live, and his natural response will be, I haven't done that, I can't do that, and now I'm in trouble. That's the point, isn't it? In fact, it's a little bit interesting, the study of this text, and as we go through, but you're going to see it uh, in three different, very specific ways in this text. Where, where Jesus is what we would call preaching the law to this expert in the law. Three different times he comes back to him and said, okay, you want to go to heaven? Do this and, be, and you will live. Right? Live it out perfectly. In fact, Jesus comes back around to it at the end of our text as well. So multiple times Jesus comes at the expert in the law and says, you want to be right in God's eyes? Just be perfect. Do it right every single time. Never make a mistake. Always treat people right. Always think right. Always have the right motivation in your heart. Do these things and you'll be justified and you'll go to heaven. Trouble is, we can't and we haven't. Which is exactly the point of what Jesus was trying to get across to the expert in the law. You can't and you haven't 
and you won't, and therefore you need mercy. And so he starts this out with this expert in the law. And the point of it was for him to, to ask of himself, have I been the best neighbor I've, that my neighbor ever had? The simple answer is no. We haven't. Sometimes we haven't even been a decent neighbor to our neighbors around us, much less to our God above. And so Christ is preaching the law, trying to get him to understand his own sinfulness and his own heart. Right? So that brings us to our first point. If you want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had, we have to know brokenness. We have to know sin. We have to know failure. And I don't mean brokenness, sin, and failure in people around us or in our neighbor, <laughs> but in us, right? In my life, in my actions, in my thoughts, and in my heart. Ultimately, that's what Christ was trying to get across, this expert in the law. And that's where we begin. You want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? You've got to understand how broken you are. And someone once said that everyone's broken just in different ways. There's truth to that. All of us are sinful and fall short of the glory of our God above. Right? Okay. So, starts out with understanding that. But, we move on. Next portion of our text, verse 36, or 33 rather. So Jesus comes back to the expert in law and says this, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Okay. The expert in the law didn't grasp what Jesus was hoping he would grasp. So Jesus, expertly, comes back with a parable and with a story. And he tells a story of mercy and compassion. A priest comes by and sees a man in the ditch, hurt, beaten, on the verge of death, and he passes by on the other side. Okay? A Levite, who was a worker in God's temple, right? So this was a church worker. He was in ministry. Comes by, sees the man on the verge of death, passes by on the other side. Now, we might have justifications for that. We might be able to say, or the priest and the Levite might have been able to say, um, I couldn't help because if I touch blood or, or, I, or I come into contact with blood or someone that is, is hurt or damaged, then I become ceremonially unclean and I'm not able to perform my duties at the temple. So Jesus, I really would like to have helped that man and had mercy on him, but if I did it, I wouldn't be able to perform the duties that I had to do. They could have said that, right? And yet, the higher law of love dictated that someone was in need. And so Jesus is asking this expert in the law and us as well, um, at times do we sacrifice, do we forego mercy and pity for the sake of tasks and expediency? or even our own comfort. That's what Jesus addresses. But his parable then goes on and gives kind of a surprising example. Because a Samaritan comes along 
And keep in mind the, the ethnic conflict between Samaritans and Jews, right? So this was not a comfortable situation, right? Uh, uh, Samaritan and Jews were, were um, to say the least, looked down upon one another, right? Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds, that they had mixed religion and mixed blood. And so they, they consistently would not engage with Samaritans, with those who were in their country. And not surprisingly, conversely, how did the Samaritans think of Jews? Yeah, they didn't like them very much. Remember the garbage wars? This is what's happening, right? So we've got Jews and Samaritans throwing garbage into each other's property. This is what's happened. And so in Jesus' parable, as he's coming out, he says, a Samaritan stops and has pity on a Jewish man. That's what Jesus is trying to get these this expert in the law, and us ultimately to see, right? That the higher law of love ought to cause us to take pity. Now, that word pity in, our, in the Greek text is a really interesting one. Uh, it's the Greek word splongnadzo, which is kind of fun to say, uh, but it's the, the seed of emotion. So this, this isn't just take pity on him, but uh, um, there's an action that is connected with it. So it's not, it's not just, man, that really stinks that you're in trouble over there. Like, I feel real bad for you. It's too bad that you lost your job, that your family is sick, that you lost your mom or dad. I, I feel real bad for you. So that, that's actually not splongnitzo, right? It starts with that, right? But it is moved to action. It means that not only do I care enough to, to weep with you, to cry with you, to laugh with you, but I will also take action in order to try to help you in whatever way I can. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. And then the rest of the story of the Good Samaritan illustrates that. Um, um, I didn't highlight them here, but all of the active things that the Samaritan does. He doesn't just say, hey, somebody should help out this Jew. He's kind of dying in the ditch. He takes action, right? Look how active this story is, right? Uh, um, there is what, what sometimes we'll say, call is extreme ownership in what is happening there. That he is not waiting around for somebody else to step up. He is not standing back and saying, boy, someone should really help this guy. There is ownership of what is happening. And so that pity, that splongnazo, uh, um, urges him to actually do something. And so he bandages him. And he heals him. And he takes care of him. And he puts him on his donkey. And he brings him to an end. And, and it is finances out of his pocket. And he gives him extra. And he says, um, this is an open-ended bill. Everything that this man may need, I will square up with you afterwards as long as you take care of him and get him back to health. And so it's remarkably active. What does that mean for us? Well, I think in the context of this story, who is our good Samaritan? You can guess it. Who had splongnadzo on us, on you? Christ did. Right? Christ had pity on us. Christ showed mercy. Christ put into action through his life and his death on the cross, he has healed us and washed us clean. So we know mercy 
We know healing because you have it in Jesus above. I mentioned everyone's broken just in different ways. Here's the very beautiful thing that each and every one of you have and one of the most beautiful things you can share with your neighbor is you know you have a Savior in whom you are healed, you are forgiven, and eternal life is secure. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what you have in Jesus. And here's the really wonderful part. You want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? You can share Jesus. Right? Which brings us to that next point, or our, our um, next scripture here. First John kind of crystallizes it. We love because he first loved us. Therein lies our motivation, isn't it? To think of our neighbors and those around us before ourselves, right? There you go. You want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? Know your own brokenness and sin, right? But also share mercy. The mercy that you know you've had and you have in Christ, you also get to share that with people that are hurting and suffering around you. Right? And that leads us to our last point. Read for you verses 36 and 37. It says this, Jesus says this to the expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There's not a lot of uh, um, kind of beating around the bush in this, is it? (laughs) Jesus says, go and do. Now, the question we can ask is, did the expert in the law get it yet? (laughs) We're not actually sure, right? We're not 100% sure if he understood the depth of his own need and had the proper motivation to go and do, right? But the wonderful thing is, is that we do, right? We know the Savior that we have, and that motivates us to be the best neighbor that our neighbor ever had. Go and do. That's pretty simple, right? Do we just leave it there? What's the hardest part of this text? (laughs) Some might argue this part, right? (laughs) Actually... (laughs) Applying it. Like, okay, yep, yep. Got to be, Jesus wants me to be a good neighbor. The hard part, though, is actually putting that into practice, isn't it? In our lives, in your lives, in the lives of the people around you. I think to do that, it takes a few different things. Um, And that brings us kind of to our last point. You want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? We look to neighbor, right? Right? What does that look like? It looks like a lot of different things. Some of you have heard this quote uh, before. I think it's a wonderful one uh, from Martin Luther. He says, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. That crystallizes a little bit of what Jesus was trying to get across to the expert in the law. But I hope it also gives us a little bit of direction of how important it is for us to be the best neighbor that our neighbor ever had. But that's not easy to do. I think it's difficult for us to do, right? I think maybe far too often we, we um, are tempted to get into garbage wars <laughs> rather than neighbor loving. So here's some 
areas that I think we can kind of focus on. You want to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? I think these are some aspects of it. Not entirely, but I think these are some aspects. The first one is that being the best neighbor your neighbor ever had, it happens out there. Okay? Um, and here's what I mean by that. And we have guests, we have visitors today, right, um, that you're here. But the, the majority of you are members here, right? You come here regularly. But you want to know where your neighboring happens? It happens out there, <laughs> right? Um, good things happen here. <laughs> In fact, Scripture's got all kinds of good things that he asks of how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. But when Christ is talking to us about being good neighbors, it doesn't happen in here on a Sunday morning. It may be motivated by, it may be strengthened by, you may be encouraged by, but ultimately, it happens out there. If you're in a subdivision, maybe you've got neighbors on all sides of you. And maybe some of you are like, yes, I live on 20 acres. I got no one around me on purpose, pastor. Okay? Uh, you are not off the hook. <laughs> right? Because who is your neighbor? I think maybe a good definition is anyone that you have regular contact with. Whether that's in the workplace, whether that's your physical neighbors, whether that's at school, maybe that's doing your hobbies, whatever it may be, playdates, things like that, anyone that you have regular contact with, you ought to consider a neighbor. And so I don't care if you have 100 acres, you still have neighbors. You still have people that uh, matter to you and that you matter to them, if you let it. So neighboring happens out there, okay? The second part, being the best neighbor our neighbor ever had, is that we are other-oriented. This one goes a little bit against uh, our, our, our kind of natural American culture where we see our vocation, we see our jobs, we see our lives, um, even the things that we do and put in place for our kids um, as a means to an end. So uh, we, we use our vocations and our jobs and the things to achieve for ourselves, to find self-fulfillment, to find our path and our purpose, right? It's a very American way to look at it. But at times, it's not a very Christian way to look at it. Because remember the summary of the law that the expert in the law gave at the beginning? Our purpose as believers is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's to be other-oriented. It's to be selfless rather than selfish. It's to look for the hurt and the pain and the needs of those around us first. Okay? So as believers, we are other-oriented, right? Third one there is that we search. I, I searched for a word to use there. But it's active, right? Not just sitting back, boy, world's really hurting. People are really in need. And if someone like knocks on my door, I'll probably help them out or I could buy some Girl Scout cookies. Isn't that helpful? I mean, I think. I like, I like Thin Mints, but I'm sure it helps somebody, right? So... But searches means we, we go out, right? And you look. And guess what you're going to find? You're going to find lots of pain and lots of brokenness and lots of people in need. I'm not going out on a limb to say I think you feel that in our society and in the world around us. And we are a part of it. As you search, it won't be hard for you to find. Find people to help. Next one is... That's risky. 
right? So I'm not going to lie to you that, that, that there isn't risk involved in that. When you put yourself out there, when you strive to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had, there is risk involved. You might be hurt, you might be rejected, you might be made fun of, um, um, all of those things. Anytime we do that, there is always risk, right? But it's worth it. In fact, we're compelled to do it, right? Next one is it's sacrificial. What that means is, is that we help, and the parable of the Good Samaritan is a great example, not just out of our excess, right? Not just out of um, we happen to have enough money piling out of our pockets with a little bit of lint, but we help sacrificially, which means at times you will go without in order to help people who are in need. And you know what? That's okay. God's going to take care of you. He will give you your daily bread, right? That's okay. And the last one is that you have the opportunity to shine a light. What I mean by that is the, the, the actions you take, the things you say, the things you do, have the opportunity to shine a light ultimately on Christ, the mercy that we have in him and his grace. In the late 17 and 1800s, specifically in Britain, uh, um, some of the the modern building techniques were starting to come into play, and it created some not-so-neighborly issues within that city, right? You start packing people into an urban area, um, there's lots of opportunity for them not to be the best neighbor that their neighbor ever had. What happened in Great Britain and other places around the world, but specifically there, Uh, was that the modern building techniques meant you could start going higher and higher and higher. And so if you're in a city, what do you really like to have? You like to have some sunlight, right? You want some vitamin D. You You want a view, right? Well, what did neighbors start doing to one another? They started one-upping each other and building their buildings a little bit higher than the one next to it. And so uh, it would completely block out people's windows, or at times their windows just opened to a brick wall. What ended up happening was they had to enact an actual law. This was called the right-to-light law. So you could not take somebody's light. (laughs) You could not build a building that was going to take their, their, their light from the sunshine. Right? And so this went all the way to courts and people weren't able to build at certain times. Right? So now today in Great Britain, you'll find signs like that. It says ancient lights. And what that means is that those windows have been designated that no one can build in front of them. That light must be allowed back in. Here's a few more. Right? Ancient lights. Look at that whole building of them, right? I pray that as Christians and the people that you are neighbors to, I pray that it never has to get to the point where a law needs to be made so that people can see light. And in a spiritual sense, that's even more true. I pray that there, we never need to have a law that says uh, um, that we are going to share Christ, that ultimately it is our, our privilege and our joy to let Christ's light shine for your neighbors, in their lives, in what you do, in what you choose not to do, in the words you use, the words you choose 
not to use. So, are you ready to be the best neighbor that your neighbor ever had? I hope so, right? We have the proper motivation in Christ, right? We know our own brokenness, but we also know Christ's mercy, and you have the privilege of sharing that with the people around you, right? And last but not least, you get to let that light shine of Christ on them, in their lives, in who you are. May the Lord bless you as you do that, as you strive to be the best neighbor your neighbor ever had. Amen.